Kate McClellan, pro wedding planner with over 16 years of experience helping more than 400 couples down the aisle. I started Planning Collective to help all couples get through the overwhelm of wedding planning by sharing my actionable tips and tools that I've used over the years working with my clients. We'll focus on getting rid of what I like to call FOWO, the fear of wedding oversight. This is an unfortunate condition that almost every couple will suffer from at some point. Let's get you back to enjoying the planning process. Here we go. Hey guys, Kate here. Welcome back to another episode of the Wedding Planning Collective podcast. In today's episode, I want to share some stories from past weddings, along with a lesson that you can hopefully learn from them. We'll start with five brief stories today, but I have a feeling that it might become a regular topic for future episodes. Our first lesson is actually based on a compilation of weddings over the summer. The 2022 wedding season has certainly been a crazy one. My amazing assistant Celeste and I have joked that it's been the year of moving chairs. The two main reasons for this were that we're still seeing an increase of outdoor weddings thanks to the pandemic and an ever-increasing number of unique venues that are popping up in most cities. In both of these cases, it's super common for the ceremony and reception to be in the same place, which leads to a season of moving chairs. While there's nothing wrong at all about repurposing chairs for your ceremony to reception, there are a few things that you need to think about before making that decision. The first and most important one is who will be moving the chairs. <laughs> most of the time, the decision to repurpose the chairs is to save money, so adding staff from a catering or planner's team to move them might not make sense. But you'll most likely not be able to rely on your wedding party and family to help since they'll probably be taking photos with you guys at that time. The easiest solution would be following your ceremony, have the officiant make an announcement to have the guests simply take their chair with them from the ceremony to reception. However, if you're having a more formal wedding, have many older guests, or if the reception site is far away from the ceremony site, this might not be the vibe you want for your wedding. For a couple of our weddings this year, it made more sense budget-wise for the couple to rent cheaper folding chairs for the ceremony rather than pay for additional staff to be there to move the chairs. The second thing to consider is the layout of your space. One local venue has a beautiful ceremony site right outside their ballroom, and the guests come in the main entrance following the ceremony to cocktail hour. While it would be wonderful to repurpose the ceremony chairs into the ballroom during cocktail hour, the only way to do this is to cut through the cocktail hour space, which would be hugely disruptive to the guests. Another similar venue offers the option to have the staff move the chairs, but because they need to take them around the building and through a different load-in entrance, they need to add staff to do this, which comes at an additional cost. And the third thing to consider is definitely the most overlooked. If you're repurposing chairs from ceremony to reception, the detailed photos of your reception will not have any chairs in them, which can make it look unfinished. If these photos are important to you, you'll need to plan to not only move the chairs once, but twice throughout the day. In most cases, the photographers will take these detailed photos of the reception space right before the ceremony. The reason for this is because once the ceremony is over, the guests will start moving right into the reception area, so they won't be able to wait until the chairs are moved to take detail photos. So if you want to have these finished photos of the event space with the chairs at the seats, you'll need to have a plan to move the chairs both to the ceremony site after the photos are taken and then back to the reception after the ceremony is complete. Or of course, go ahead and order that second set of chairs. 
Moving on to the second lesson, it's actually a combination of a regret of mine as a past bridesmaid and being on site for so many weddings over the years. When the first of my good friends got married, I was so excited to actually be a part of a wedding party and to be able to help her with the plans. While we had a great time planning and meeting with my vendor pals, on the day of the wedding, I had a tough time checking out of planner mode. I know I missed some parts of the day with the rest of the wedding party because I couldn't help but going to check on some of the setup details. While everything ended up fine, I know I wasn't as present with my friend on her wedding day as I should have been, and I see it happen quite often with other couples. Many times it's the moms that I can see distracted by the details, but of course, it's something that anyone close to you could be guilty of. The lesson here is to make sure that you have a point person assigned to be the one in charge of these little details. Of course, I recommend that you hire a day of coordinator, but I get that it's not going to be in everyone's budget. If you're not planning on having a coordinator help out, I recommend you have a friend or family member that is not in the immediate family or wedding party help with some of these tasks. And in the case that you have a type A or controlling, I say that in a loving way, mom or wedding party member that you think might act like I did, have a conversation with them prior to the wedding about the role you want them to play on your big day. Reassure them that you have a planner or a family or friend that is going to take care of everything and that you really want them to just relax and enjoy the day with you. All right, moving on to lesson three. This is another one that we have unfortunately seen several couples fall victim to, and that's booking their venue without having a solid understanding of the budget breakdown. A few years ago, a couple came to us to help with the planning after they had booked their venue. We started chatting about the budget and they said they were hoping to keep things around 30,000. It was definitely a healthy budget for their 150-person wedding they were hoping to have, but there was one problem. The contract that they had signed with their venue had a food and beverage minimum of $20,000, which did not include the room rental fees and the tax and service fees. Once we added all of that together, the actual minimum they were going to be spending was $25,000, which left only $5,000 for everything else wedding-related. And that's just simply not realistic to have your photographer, band or DJ, flowers, cake, all of the other things within that $5,000 budget. So they had to reevaluate and decide if they should either increase their budget or lose the deposit for their venue and find another location. Luckily, they did have the flexibility to increase their budget, but I'm sure they would have chosen a different venue if they had really taken a look at their budget prior to signing with the venue. Lesson four, let's talk about toasts. I always recommend to our clients to tell their family and wedding party members that are giving a toast or a speech to keep it to two to three minutes. From a guest perspective, that's the perfect time frame to hold their attention without it feeling like it's dragging on too long. But other than bored guests, if they go longer than that, it can really impact the timeline of the evening. Most couples will let me know that they'll tell them to stick to two to three minutes. That shouldn't be a problem. But on the wedding day, once they have the microphone, there's really nothing we can do if they start to go long. Over the summer, we had a father of the bride that really started off strong. He was giving such a sweet toast to the couple, but then he started to ramble. He quickly passed the five and then 10 minute mark. And I started to make eyes with the catering team because it was now clear that our timeline was going to need to be adjusted. They were an offsite caterer. So they did not have the option to simply wait to start cooking everything. It was all prepared and ready to serve right on our scheduled time. 
I let them know, let's plan on holding off on opening the food stations for another 10 minutes. But then the dad just kept going. He ended up talking for about 25 minutes and the room was just exhausted at that point. But the real kicker was that he was the first of four toasts. So the guest still had to sit through three more toasts before we could open the stations. Now, in the end, it was a tiring 40 minutes for the guests, but the bride and groom were oblivious to how restless the rest of the room was getting. They were happily present with their toasters, so it wasn't like it ruined their day. However, I know the guests walked away with that moment in their head, which could have really been easily avoidable. The two main takeaways here are that you should stress to your family and friends how important that two to three minute time frame is. When it comes to parents, I usually recommend that you remind them that the dinner that they might be paying for is getting cold with every minute they go long. On the flip side, if you know that your people are not going to stick to two to three minutes, get a realistic time frame for them so the catering team can accurately predict the start time for dinner. If you know you have somebody that's going to be long-winded, maybe ask them to say something at the rehearsal dinner instead where you have a smaller group and usually more flexibility with dinner service. Our fifth and final lesson is that you should make sure to try any wedding day or week of beauty routines well in advance of your wedding day. I'm sure I'm not alone that the first thing that comes to mind is spray tanning, right? No one wants to be an orange bride a la Bride Wars, but this idea actually should extend to any new products or services that you're planning on using or doing, especially if you have sensitive skin. We had a bride go for her trial the morning of her wedding shower, which is a great way to test out the longevity of your look and style. Plus, if you're getting all glammed up, you want to have somewhere to go, right? Unfortunately, she had a reaction to the eyelash glue they used, and her eyes got super red and itchy as the day moved on. Luckily, it wasn't anything too crazy. She was able to remove the lashes and clean her face before the shower started, and her eyes definitely got better. But can you imagine the stress of this happening on your wedding day? She was able to talk to the makeup artist about this and purchased and tested another brand of lash glue before the wedding day, which worked out perfectly. But this is another reason why hair and makeup trials are so important in advance of the wedding. There you have it. Five lessons for you to learn from before your wedding day. And like I mentioned, I'm sure this will be a repeat topic for us on the podcast. So if you have any stories or experiences that you think would be helpful for others to hear, let me know. You can head over to the Wedding Planning Collective Facebook group and share over there. And if you found this podcast helpful, I would love it if you could take a quick second and rate and review. It would mean the world to me and it will help other engaged couples find the wedding planning help they need. Thank you so much for joining and I will see you in the next episode. Music